Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Welcome to the Think Humanities podcast. We're learning a lot more about critical race theory today. In national debates, newscasts, and school board meetings, I thought it might be a good idea to get some clarity on the issue from Kentucky Humanities board member and distinguished professor of history and politics at Murray State University, Dr. Brian Clardy. And Brian, as I said, we're learning and hearing a lot more about uh, CRT, critical race theory, uh, more and more these days, um, it seems like. So let's just begin with uh, some of the elementary definitions uh, in case people need to be caught up on uh, what critical race theory is and what it is not. Oh, Bill, first of all, thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and it's always an honor to be able to engage the issues of the day, uh, be they controversial or be they simple ones. And this is a quite a controversial one, but its, it's, it's origin goes back to something that's very simple. Uh, critical race theory comes out of the scholarship, the legal scholarship of people like Derek Bell, um, and as, as recently as, as scholars like Patricia Williams, who want to look at the roles that race plays in affecting systems. It's really a legal construct. That's how it started out. How does racism, how does discrimination, how does it influence economic systems, political systems, social systems, and the like? What role does race play historically and currently in giving shape to those particular systems? Now, that's, that's pretty much the hub of it. What has happened, though, recently is that uh, you've had a lot of scholarship um, of, of late that criticized uh, different approaches to history, educational pedagogy, healthcare delivery, economics, and so forth, uh, linking back to the larger question of race privilege. A lot of work is done by a lot of scholars across the gamut and is coming out in literature, podcasts, books, interviews, and the like where race is starting to come up as a major issue for debate. What has happened is that, I don't know how it, how this got started, but somebody reached back and said, oh, this is critical race theory. So we're going to label these new critiques of economic, political, social, and historical, and educational systems. We're going to label this all critical race theory. And so what has happened is that, that critical race theory has become weaponized. It's become weaponized uh, by certain folks on the right wing of the political spectrum, and uh, it's, it's sort of become a buzzword of such, and it's quite a heated one, and it's quite a polarizing one, and we're starting to see some people and institutions and groups act out in reaction to it, such as what we saw in Louisville last night, and we're seeing at school board meetings all across the country. It's quite, it's quite a lightning rod issue. So the question of uh, why are we hearing about it now and really how long it's been around is somewhat undefined. Uh, it hasn't been um, on the uh, in the headlines or uh, on the radar 
that recently, uh, it does go back uh, several years, uh, but is there any one measure of, in, in fact, uh, I will uh, use some of the uh, information and research that I discovered, and you might uh, have um, uh, run across the name uh, Christ uh, Christopher Ruffo, who happens to be a, uh, a person that, uh, that Fox News uh, uses a lot as an expert. And in fact, uh, Ruffo, R-U-F-O, did make a statement uh, in the media uh, during a COVID. It was during the 2020 when he uh, made some reference to it. And that might have started the latest buzz, although it does go back up even a, a couple of decades. Sure, sure it does. Uh, let's 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 give you an example of why folks would react negatively to critical race theory as it has been defined. You mentioned the COVID situation, and we you mentioned um, the problems that have come from the pandemic, misperceptions, fears, worries, and concerns. Okay, uh, just in the disease itself, a lot of conspiracy theories have come about as to why COVID spread so quickly and why it disproportionately impacted African-Americans uh, and why many African-Americans are very hesitant uh, not only to get tested, but also to receive the vaccine. Okay, that is a stated fact. There is a history to that. Uh, there's a lot of distrust among many African-American uh, social circles that distrust doctors, hospitals, and the healthcare system generally. Uh, there's a lot of memory going back to the Tuskegee syphilis study, which was done from the 1930s to the 1970s, uh, as African-American men had contracted uh, the worst type of syphilis and uh, did not receive the care that they needed because they were being experimented. There was an experiment to see tertiary syphilis would impact black men and women. And so a lot of people died and a lot of people remember that history. If you go back even further than that, if you look at uh, people like uh, Marion Sims, the so-called father of gynecology, uh, where did he hone his craft? By experimenting on African-American slave women. So there's a long history of distrust uh, with regard to the healthcare system in the United States and the African-American community. What critical race theory, as it has been defined, would seek to do is to go back and look at that history, to go back and study that history and to connect the dots as to what happened in the past, what's happened currently, and what could be future trends. Um, of course, the Tuskegee syphilis study, let's just be honest, racism was a very important part of that construct as to how that happened. And so what critical race theory would seek to do as is, and I keep adding that disclaimer as it has been defined because it's been misused, I think it's been weaponized, certainly politicized, would go to look at the relationship between those particular systems stacked against African-Americans historically and how it impacts the current. And you uh, so uh, adeptly uh, explain and clarify uh, the the information uh, that uh, you've also used the term scholarship, and I think it needs to be pointed out that at times when we talk about scholarship, we don't usually, although we can and maybe we should, apply scholarship to K through 12, but a lot of this scholarship is in uh, postgraduate uh, work, in, in theory, in uh, discussions in postdoctoral programs, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so the dialogue itself 
regarding uh, anti-racism and even uh, the the term white privilege right. does make some white people nervous. Uh, mm-hmm. It makes some uh, white people question the teaching of race or what is taught uh, in our history and our school systems. And I think you would argue that there there needs not to be any nervousness or or frightening of uh, of anyone when we're talking about facts and figures that are proven by history uh, right. and that we all need to know. What I always try to do as, as a historian, as an educator, is to look at both sides of the equation. If I were a white man and I heard the phrase white privilege or white liberal guilt, if I heard those phrases, I would probably be put off by that too. Because I would ask myself, I I didn't own slaves. I've never discriminated against anyone. I wasn't a member of the Klan. I never heard a person of color. So why are these systems targeting me, uh, trying to guilt me, guilt my children, guilt my society? And why is it that I, as a white person, would be painted with a broad brush? I understand fully what that's about. I get it. The the thing is, if we're going to discuss issues with regard to slavery, with regard to Jim Crow, there are some very, very unpleasant things that happened during that period. Uh, The way that slaves were bred like animals, sold, dehumanized, assaulted. Nell Painter calls it soul murder, uh, things that happened during that particular period. Human beings were branded like animals, um, could be killed for any odd reason, especially during the Jim Crow period. Uh, The details of lynchings, it is an unpleasant truth, very unpleasant. Um, In fact, many of the lynchings were photographed. Uh, About 20 some odd years ago, James Allen and I forgot the other gentleman who helped him to compile this, compiled a work called Without Sanctuary Lynching Photography in America. And those photographs are gruesome, but they were taken and the pictures were used as souvenirs to mark and commemorate those events. Some of the spectacle lynchings were entertainment. These things happened. Facts are stubborn things. And if we're going to look at institutions with regard to slavery, Jim Crow, the civil rights era, and before that, there's some very ugly truths that we're going to have to confront. This is not to make anyone feel guilty about themselves, their race, their culture, but these things happen and we have to talk about it. And I think that uh, you put it so well and uh, really for most, if they listen to your words and the words of other historians and scholars and 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 teachers, um, that none of this is is made up. Uh, it's all based in fact. Uh, it's uh, it's true. It doesn't need to be hidden. It needs to be taught. Everyone needs to be exposed uh, to the truth. Uh, there's mm-hmm. another scholar, uh, Brian, uh, that I'm going to get you to respond to. Um, mm-hmm. Her name is Gloria Ladson Billings. Uh, she is uh, now uh, working with the National Academy of Education. She's a uh, professor emerita at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. 
and she was interviewed by uh, NPR. She said, at one time, nobody cared about this stuff. It's like one of those arcane things that you hear about, read about, that sometimes you discuss in a, in a, in a graduate uh, course. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is one of the academics, uh, very much like yourself, who first applied the critical race theory approach to her education policy research. She says it it doesn't need, uh, or she doesn't see it. She's not she's not identified it as we mentioned a minute ago in in kindergarten through the twelfth grade of high school. Right. History is taught, of course, uh, race, uh, but not race theory, not esoteric, uh, far out uh, discussions uh, taking place. Um, and she says she doesn't even use it with her undergrads. Uh, she goes on to say that I use it in graduate work because graduate students are often looking for theoretical uh, frameworks uh, for their own research. And then she also adds this. So critical race theory is a series of theoretical propositions that mm-hmm. suggest that race and racism are normal, not aberrant in American life. It relies on several tenets that include things like uh, interest conversion, um, the notion that you can get something done, you can't, you can get something done if you can convince the opposition that it's in the best interest. Things right. like counter storytelling or narratives, and when and I know people um, when they hear storytelling, they say it's not empirical, it's not truthful. But if you've ever been uh, in a court of law, everyone's telling a story. They have the same set of facts. They just tell the story differently. That's true. So she she's sort of downplaying uh, what you so aptly uh, put uh, very well that it has been weaponized and politicized by a faction here in the United States that really doesn't want to hear that theory at all. See what, it, what the question then arises: If this was not such an important construct, yeah. Why is it coming up now and who is benefiting from it? And I don't think we know the answer to that question because we're at a tipping point in American society uh, in a post uh, George Floyd period, in a post Breonna Taylor period, at the beginnings of a post COVID period and a post one six period, a post Charleston nine period mm-hmm. and racial tensions were already inflamed as they were. And now this has been introduced into this into the uh, larger lexicon and people are divided. People are angry. They were angry enough, but even more so now somebody now has a cause to rally. The larger question then is who is really benefiting from this? Are they benefiting politically? That would be a logical answer. Are they benefiting economically, culturally? Are they what are they afraid of? Are they afraid of the changing demographics of what's happening in the United States and throughout the world? Because these these new racial tensions, these new nativist tensions that we're seeing in the United States, it's not just happening here. It's happening in Europe. It's happening in Hungary. I shudder to think it was going to happen in Germany when Merkel leaves leaves the scene. Uh, You could look at the origins behind Brexit. There were a lot of connections there with regard to fears of the other taking over um, and and creative truth telling, alternative facts and the like. So we're at a very precarious point in our history. And so 
I just don't see where we don't have a choice but to engage this material. But there are some folks who don't want that to happen. And the question is why. And you mentioned, uh, Professor Clardy, that um, the Louisville situation, uh, which is uh, pretty uh, close to, uh, to home, yeah. um, the discussion uh, is, uh, it seems like if we look at uh, news accounts that it's really uh, spreading into many school systems. It is. Uh, and uh, this occurred on June the 22nd. Um, it took less, this is according to reporting by the Courier Journal, it took less than 30 minutes for protesters to derail a Jefferson County School Board workshop on, they were just working on a strategic plan for the next year, 2021, uh, when uh, according to the Courier Journal report, the meeting uh, devolved into uh, screaming matches and security officers kicking out several people because they were disturbing the meeting. Why do you think this would be happening? Uh, why, why now, as you've explained some of the reasons, but why would it be happening in a Louisville school board meeting? Okay, you, you, you answered their own question just at Louisville. Look at what has happened in Louisville over the last year with Breonna Taylor. Uh, the city was already on edge. The city was framed by different political discussions that were happening happening in the larger national picture. Um, and I don't know, who, I, I can't say who these folks are reading in the blogs or who they're listening to on television. I can't address that, but I would be willing to bet so some of them were influenced by right-wing conservative media who have weaponized this particular issue. And when they heard that the Louisville School Board was meeting and coming up with a strategic plan, and they were talking about uh, racial inclusion and equity, that set off the alarm bells. And that explained what happened in that particular meeting. An irresistible force met an immovable object, and there was combustion. And so I suspect, and this thing could have gotten far worse. Uh, from the news accounts. I read the, the Courier-Journal report as well, and I, it, it could have gotten a whole lot worse. And my, my gut tells me that this is just the beginning. Louisville is one of the cities that this is going to happen, but when school boards start to address curriculum and pedagogical changes, uh, parents are going to raise the question, well, are you going to teach critical race theory? Uh, when they, they hear about a diverse curriculum, a multicultural ap approach, to uh, to educational delivery, that's going to set off those alarm bells. And I think you're going to see incidences like that happening all over the country this summer and going into the fall. And that's not good because this is going to divide the country even further. I'm talking to uh, Professor uh, Dr. Brian Clardy, uh, teaches history and uh, politics uh, in a number of uh, different areas at Murray State University, a member of the Kentucky Humanities Board of Directors. We're very proud to have him on the uh, podcast uh, today. Uh, Brian, do you think that that a lot of these people uh, that that were uh, showed up at the Louisville Jefferson County uh, School Board meeting and many others, for that matter, across the country and as you mentioned, across the world, are they confusing critical race theory with with uh, uh, racial equity, uh, with uh, diversity? with inclusion that we're uh, uh, striving to uh, try to heal and, and, and come to some meeting of the minds about what's, 
what's fair in this in this world in this country? They are. They are. Uh, they, they have they have believed the hype. They've taken that bait. Uh, they've heard the story about that there's a, a, a mission to completely undo the American way of life, to indoctrinate their children, uh, to overturn basic American norms and values, um, to disrupt the American way of life, to turn the United States into a socialist, even Marxist state. They've heard that over and over, and it's been drilled into their heads. And when they hear about a diverse curriculum, when they hear about uh, equity in terms of hiring and retention of faculty of color, and when they hear about um, a multi multicultural uh, approaches to even American history, we haven't even talked about world history yet, but just American history, um, this is what's setting that off. And it's sad. It's sad that we have reached a stage in our country where the telling of truth and trying to be inclusive has been viewed as a bad thing. Well, we'll uh, that, finish up exactly uh, in, in just a few moments with a couple of other uh, definitions and um, and your thoughts on where we're going with the, the future of this. Talking with Professor Brian Clardy from Murray State University, and we'll be right back with more on the Think Humanities podcast right after this from our good friends at Spalding University. The Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing offers students intellectual rigor, emotional support, affordability, flexibility, and community at the world's first certified compassionate university. From certificate to terminal degree, the programs at Spalding School of Writing foster lifelong writing habits and help you forge a lasting writing community. Learn more at spalding.edu slash school of writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Brian, uh, one of the other uh, fields of uh, scholarship, uh, of, of research, and you often now are, are seeing uh, this referenced, uh, and that is the 1619 Project, which was uh, begun by the New York Times mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. And... Um, can you explain what that is to us and, and why it has created in, it, its, um, in its own way uh, some controversy over critical race theory? In 1619, the first group of African Africans were brought over to Jamestown um, as first as indentured servants. Uh, this is the beginning of the enslavement of the African-American. Um, slavery definitely takes hold by the middle to the end of the 17th century once it is recognized that slavery is profitable, it's going to help it, tobacco farmers. People tend to think of slavery in terms of cotton. Cotton doesn't become a major issue until we get to the 19th century. But we're talking about the harvesting of tobacco, rice, sugar and the like. Slavery was big business. And it was not just a Southern phenomenon. What the 1619 Project does is seek to uncover those particular truths about who benefited from the institution of slavery, how that impacted social and political relations, how that framed the larger dialogue, how that framed the larger discourse in every facet of American life. Um, and as I said, those truths are very unpleasant to hear. 
When you consider the fact that many of the founders of the country were slave owners, many of our early presidents were slave owners, that is something unpleasant to the ear. Because when we think of America, we think of these grandiose ideas coming out of the enlightenment about liberty, equality, fraternity, um, a just society based upon merit, uh, not entitlement. Um, those are great ideas. And I, I too celebrate the 4th of July. But let's just be honest. What happened in 1776 was only beneficial to the colonies, but not all of the people in the colonies. Yes, the American colonists wanted to separate from Britain. Yes, they made that clear. Yes, a war was fought over it. And yes, those enlightenment principles become baked into the larger national cake as to what America's identity is. Okay, that's great that we're studying the exciting stuff. But the 1619 Project says that there was also an unpleasant underbelly of that. And we need to address that too. You touched on this a moment ago, and that is uh, where all this is going. Where do we find ourselves today? Um, as you know, and we won't get into the details of legislation, uh, which has been filed in, in many state legislators, uh, legislatures, uh, including uh, Kentucky's, um, yeah. and, and seems to be gaining some momentum, which basically um, interferes with the teaching of history. Uh, although they don't uh, say it uh, as clearly as that, but it um, uh, it chooses to to thwart uh, the again the truth and the knowledge that we have uh, that everyone should uh, should recognize and believe. Where where do you think this debate is going to to go? Forget the legislation for a moment. It can be there might be a competing bill, or there there will be debates about that. But as a as a people, we've um, we're we're really struggling, aren't we? And we yep. really are at a at an important place uh, in our uh, our history uh, in our country. Uh, where will this debate take us? Will it? Uh, is there anything good that will come out of this? Honestly, at the rate that this is going, and with the tensions being as hot as they are, personally, I don't see a good ending to this. Unless, unless, and here's a disclaimer. Unless there are people of goodwill on both sides of the, of, the, of the equation are willing to come together and have a rational discussion of the issues before them. If we continue to shout at each other, nothing's going to get done. If we continue to shout at each other, demonize each other, threaten each other, I don't see where this thing is going to end well. However, if there are people of goodwill on both sides who are rational and willing to sit down across the proverbial table to identify their own fears and their own concerns, and there's empathy on the other side of that table, willing to listen, that is going to be our saving grace. And that is honestly one of the great things about America. That when you consider the civil rights movement, for example, of the 1960s, there were rational actors, even among the segregationists, even among the moderates, and compromise was forged from that. We need that to happen again. Uh, the shouters cannot have the megaphone because when the shouters have the megaphone, tensions get high and what happens? You have a January 6th and worse. And I do not want to see that happen to my country. 
I would like to see us come together and discuss and to debate these issues as rational, sane adults. That's my hope. I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but I'm certainly hoping that happens. Professor Brian Clardy of Murray State University and a board member at Kentucky Humanities, uh, we appreciate your time, uh, your your scholarship, your research, uh, your your ability to to boil a very complex issue, a very complicated uh, problem facing America down to uh, uh, some uh, simple statements that we can all understand and that we all uh, uh, honor you for being able to verbalize those uh, like you do. So we we sure do thank your you for your time this afternoon. Thank you, Bill. And if I can be a part of the solution, uh, I might, you know, I have a lot going on in my own world, uh, but uh, I was trained as an educator and, and, and being an educator, that to me is a sacred responsibility to serve the public. And if there's a way that as, well, as we have today to try to raise some of these issues and cool the temperature down, if I can be helpful to that, I'm always available. So I, it was an honor speaking with you as well today, Bill. Thank you, sir, and thank you to our listeners uh, for uh, being uh, so loyal to our Think Humanities podcast. We appreciate it, and uh, good day to all of you. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.